Hey there, welcome to the More Miles podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Zach. I'm Michelle. And I'm Scott. And we are the More Miles Run Coaching team. This is our first time with all four of us together on one call at the same time. So I'm excited for this podcast. Um, before we get into it, I real quick, what we're going to cover today is hydration, nutrition, and supplementation. Before we get into that, um, on our last coaches chat episode, we sort of caught up on each of us and what we're training for right now, how training is going. And uh, some of us are starting to get kind of close to race time. So I wanted to just catch up with all of you guys real quick on how it's going. I think, uh, Michelle, you are the closest to race day right now. So fill us in. How are you doing? (laughs) So as you know, because you're my coach, we're making some adjustments. I think the original goal is little beyond my reach right now, which is okay. It's great. I think I could still possibly PR, which is cool. And uh, I think it's going to be, yeah, we have one more week, one more week of climb and then we're on taper. So I think it's for the first time in my life, it's going to be kind of a wing it race. I've never done that. Just go out, run hard, see what happens. Are you feeling some freedom in that? You know, I am because I've always been a very data driven person and like a very type A, like we're going to plan exactly how this race is going to go, which it never, ever goes according to any plan I've ever made for a race in the history of racing. Um, So I think it is liberating. It's like, you know what? We're going to go in. This is the work I've done. See how it goes. Run hard. It's all I can do. And so it's kind of is very liberating Like because it's like I'm not sitting here like the normal month before okay, like I'm going to take every gel. I've got the alarm set on my phone. I've got this metric, this metric, all banging at me in every direction. It's kind of just like whatever. And it'll be fun to see what happens without the the mental stress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> remind us real quick, you are the first weekend of March. What's the race that you're doing? The Myrtle Beach Half Marathon. Um, it'll be fun. I'm going down with a couple of girlfriends. It'll be a fun weekend regardless of what happens. They're doing the full so I can kick back for a couple hours and relax while they're still doing some hard work. Um, but it'll be a good weekend. The weather looks like praying it's going to be good. looks like fifties and clears. I mean, it's a few weeks out. That's been the consistent <laughs> forecast. So let's just pray. <laughs> See what happens in a couple weeks. A lot, a lot can change it. in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, a lot can change in two weeks. Yes. All right. So Zach, you're up next. You're following shortly after that. What, remind us again, what's the race that you're training for? Uh, Shamrock, which is down in Virginia beach. So I'll be doing the full marathon there. Full marathon. Yeah, okay. yeah. Shooting for a 254 sub three, but 254 is a goal. So, uh, Sweet. Um, things are going well. Uh, I'm hitting all my workouts, doing all the things I need to do. But uh, we were just talking like prior to this, uh, we're like at that point in the training block where everything's like, oh, I had to do another speed workout this week, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is such a drag. But I'm ready to like get into doing running ultra again and running slower and just longer and not having to be like forcefully thinking during your workouts. So, um, but we're getting there. I'm hitting, I feel good. I'm staying injury free, all that other stuff. So knock on wood, that's the most important stuff. So. That's the key. Yeah. For real. That's very relatable. And I think, uh, (laughs) listeners should know it's normal to feel that way when you're in your peak weeks, but to be able to differentiate between like, I'm really tired, but my body is okay. My body's doing good. I'm not injured. I'm not hurt. Right. That's right. That's, that's it. Always check in with myself, even during my workouts. I'm like, I'll be like, okay, 
my feet still moving? Am I still breathing? I'm good. Like that's just you gotta. That's how it is. Every every single workout, and every every single day too. So just checking in with yourself. But yeah, everything's good. One brick stacked. All right. So Scott, you have the longest until your next goal. You're looking at almost summertime, like very end of the spring. So tell us about, tell us what you're training for because you were not on our last call that we talked about this. Yeah. So I decided after 2023, um, which wasn't a great year for racing, was to um, change it up a little bit and focus on time, timed events, um, different format, just to give it a little bit more spice and flair. Um, I am shooting for the last one standing. Um, that's still a, uh, it, it's just very intriguing to me. Um, it's probably given me more excitement than I've had about a race and, or an event, you should say, in a long time. So yeah, just building up that volume and consistency. Um, since JFK, I've been as consistent in mileage and hitting workouts as I've been in probably a very long time. So things are going really, really well. You know, even last week, which wasn't great from a, from a, I wouldn't call it a race perspective, but I did the five hour um, challenge, but felt fantastic. Um, just, you know, made some, you know, decisions to kind of stop it a little bit short, but uh, I feel great. You know, I think it's, it's a good sign when I'm in a recovery week and somebody texted me today and said, well, what'd you run today? I said, I had a, I had a short run today. And it was only 10 miles. So, you know, when you're only <laughs> running a short 10 miler, you know, I think that's a pretty good sign that your volume's in a good spot in February. So. Yeah, I think so too. And if I can, if, if I can expose you as your coach, I think the number of times in the past month or so that you've texted me and said, God, I feel good. Oh man, I feel good. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's rewarding to see you coming out to that other side. I've said that only, only one statement has beat that. It's the amount of times that Michelle and I have talked about whether I'm going to do JFK again. So that's, <laughs> that's always the, in the spring, I'm like, I'm not doing it again. And we all know how that story ends. That just flips back and forth throughout the year. It's, I've gotten used to you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, we'll see. We've got a ways until November. <laughs> Let's get to June first. Lauren, what about you? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my primary goal this season is the CNO 100 mile, which is the last week of April. Um, I, I'm riding Scott's train. I feel fantastic right now. Um, I kind of... So I set myself up with sort of a three-step race process along the way. I've got uh, last weekend did something fun. My next uh, event is something fast. I'm going to be doing a marathon, um, not with a specific time goal, but with the effort of just getting some speed and some hard work under my legs. Uh, so, you know, Canal 100 is very flat. It's an opportunity to run very fast uh, for 100 miles. Fast is relative, but... Um, and then uh, shortly after that, I'll be going to doing something steep, which is the Grand Canyon. So I've got one out of three stepping stone goals on my way there checked off and uh, felt really, really good running. I did the nine hour event at Froggy Hollow last weekend. Um, I ran seven and a half and decided that was a good stopping point. I got the miles that I, I wanted. I still felt good. And I recovered really, really well from it. So I think even more so than having just kind of a, a solid day out, long run out, um, the recovery in the week to follow has been very exciting. So yeah, I've, I feel great, but I mean, there's still a long way to go. So 
one week at a time, one run at a time. February, March, April, you got time. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into our podcast. So we wanted to run through in a little bit more detail. Um, hydration is a topic that we have not really covered yet. And uh, it is winter. Hydration is still very important in the winter. Um, and it becomes more and more important as we get into the spring and the summer. And even when we get kind of warm pockets of days here in the winter when you're not particularly acclimated to the heat. So we wanted to make sure we cover hydration in depth. Um, we are going to do sort of a review on nutrition. We have covered nutrition before. Um, in depth, we are going to kind of skate through and cover macronutrients in your daily life as well as fueling on the run. And then we wanted to take a deeper dive into supplementation. That's not something that we have really talked about in depth before. So um, I think that will probably kind of be the heart of our conversation. Um, but we'll see as we roll through. I know we all are talkers, so <laughs> we might spend a good bit of time on each of these topics. We'll see. Um, okay, so hydration, um, I will kick this one off to start just to help people understand what it is. Um, hydration is different than just drinking water. So drinking water is not necessarily hydrating you. When you sweat, you are not losing water alone. Um, obviously you get wet, you are losing fluid, you are losing water, but mixed in with that water, you also are losing electrolytes. Sodium is the primary electrolyte that you lose in your sweat. I think everyone has experienced it has a salty taste. It burns your eyes. Um, when you dry, you see the white on your skin, on your clothes. Most of that is sodium. We are also losing potassium, magnesium, calcium as other electrolytes in your sweat in uh, lower levels. So losing fluid water plus electrolytes when you sweat, you need to replace water plus electrolytes in your drink. That's what hydration means. That is hydrating your body is including those sodium, sodium with your fluid as opposed to just fluid alone. Um, so I wanted to make sure people understand that. And we really emphasize even in the winter when you are training, when you are out for a run, especially a long run, especially a hard workout, Plain water should not be in your bottle. We should not be carrying plain water on you when you are sweating. You need to be having water with electrolytes in there. A lot of different ways to do that. There's a lot of ways to know um, what kind of a product or how much electrolytes you need in your water. I think that's a common thing that we get too, is not only um, understanding how important electrolytes are to include in your exercise plan, but how to know what to use, how much to use. Um, so Michelle, I'm going to throw this one to you because you this is a product you and I have used quite a bit. Um, nowadays, in 2023, 2024, we have technology that can help us determine really, really easy and conveniently um, what our sweat rate is, what our sweat, more importantly, maybe what our sweat composition is. And I think that's something people really want to know. So can you talk real quick on how we can know what, what is going on with our sweat, what our sweat looks like and what we need to be replenishing and replacing? Yeah. So, um, it's really personalized and this is why we're telling you there's, there's ways to figure this out, not just to guess. It's not like carbs where you can guess and say, this hurts my stomach. This doesn't, you really need to dial it in scientifically and get tested. 
Um, the first time I went through and got tested through a lab, which was the only way you could do it years ago, you had to wear a little patch while you ran for an hour, weigh yourself before and after and send this patch off and wait like three or four weeks. And they'd send you a report of your sweat composition, you know, how much water you lost and how much of it was salt. And you had to go figure out like, okay, I lost this much salt in an hour. What electrolyte drink do I need to do? And it was all on your own. And it costs like a hundred dollars. Now they have a really cool patch called a NYX biosensor and it costs $125 and you get multiple sweat tests out of this one device. It's really awesome. And it comes with four patches and you stick these patches on your arm, turn the device on and it's by Bluetooth. It can link to your Garmin. It can link to your phone. Um, Apple's still a little glitchy. I'll say that. Um, I think you've had more success with the alerts than I've had with your Android device, but they're working on it. Um, but at the end of your run, it'll give you a report. You put the weather in or actually it doesn't you don't even put the weather in. It finds mm -hmm. your location. You have your weight, your age, your, you know, whatever biometrics you plug into it. And then it takes your run data from your watch, from GPS, from the weather and your heart rate and all that stuff. And it says you've lost this much while it senses it on your arm. This is how much sweat loss you've had during this run. Here's how much electrolyte loss you've lost during this run, which is awesome. Like real time data. And then it will bring up a chart that says, you know, here's your sweat range. Here's all the commercial products on the market. These are the ones that most closely align with your actual sodium loss rate. So like mine's right in the middle of two different products, which is great. So I can kind of vary it between the two if I want. If one's out of stock, I can get another one. Um, and it'll show you your exact sodium losses in those conditions. And it comes with four patches. It's not something you wear on every run. Um, it's quite pricey to do that because you have to replace these patches. Um, but you can do it in different conditions or different types of runs. Like you could do it during a long run workout that is similar conditions or as close as you can get to your goal race. And you'll know exactly what kind of drink you need to carry on your race. Um, you could do it again in the winter or summer to just see how much sweat loss varies with different temperatures. Do it inside. So you know how a treadmill run affects you. It's really, really great. Um, but it gives you post run data. And then you can also sync it to your Garmin or your phone once you've kind of gotten that data, it'll remind you to drink. Like you've lost five ounces of fluid. It's probably time to drink a few gulps, which is, you know, pretty cool. I think this technology is awesome because as, as a run coach in the past, we can help you roughly figure out your sweat uh, rate. So like, you know, you weigh yourself before you go run, you weigh yourself after you run, we can kind of do some rough measurements on what your sweat rate is in different temperatures, or you can do that. We can help you to do that. Um, we have never been able to have any way to know what your sweat composition is. And so we can give you electrolyte recommendations for products that we like uh, personally, but is that the best product for you? I don't know. Um, so this is a super, super convenient cost-effective way to know what your sweat composition is um, and to get those product recommendations are huge. Like it takes the, the thinking out of it for you. You can just see what your composition is and the products that most closely match with that um, and see how even products compare on the high end and the low end to, to your sweat rate. So I think um, it's important to note too with this test, if you only buy it and use it one time, your electrolyte composition is going to be pretty stable and consistent 
throughout the seasons, throughout the year. The big thing that changes is your sweat rate. So that is essentially how much you're sweating, the volume of sweat that you're losing. And that's highly dependent on the weather. So heat, humidity, sun, you know, all those sorts of things. But your sweat composition, the electrolytes you're use, losing per fluid ounce of water, that stays pretty consistent winter, spring, summer, fall. So once you have kind of found a product that's in your range, you, you pretty much know where to go from there. You don't necessarily have to make this a long-term ongoing project. You can use it in the short term and get great data from it. Um, to that end though, let's also run through, um, because I think it is valuable to talk about what your favorite products are, because a lot of people, we say, you need to be including an electrolyte supplement. And then where do you start? Like there's a million things out there. Um, so let's, let's give our listeners a hand in getting started and um, let us know what your favorite products are. Uh, Zach, why don't I start with you? What's your favorite so hydration I have, product? I have two. So actually it, like I have one that I just like sip on throughout the day. If I'm like, you know, at work or whatever. Uh, and that is actually right here. It's a Redmond's Relight. This stuff's pretty good. This stuff is like loaded with sodium and uh, potassium, all, all the good stuff. It's zero calorie. It's got like it's stevia sweetener. So uh, if you're not looking for like something carby or something else to add on, like while you're drinking throughout the day, it's a good addition. You can throw like one scoop in like 32 ounces of water and you're uh, pretty well covered. Uh, and it's and they taste great. Um, and then during races, I usually uh, drink... Uh, it's the BPN Go One More G1M. Uh, that's what I typically stick with. Um, but I've done Tailwind and a bunch of other things. But that seems to st sit well with my stomach the best. So it's got a little bit of carbohydrate, but it's not yeah. like a high carb, like a Tailwind kind of product. Um, I want to, before, Scott, I'm going to ask you next, but real quick, um, Zach, you made a good point in talking about having a daily electrolyte and a running electrolyte. Um, I think it's important for people to understand, especially in the summer when it's hot, humid, warm, um, we are not looking to carry and consume enough hydration to equally match your sweat loss on the run. Um, it's not possible when you are running, your stomach is jostling, like you just, you, you are going to sweat at a higher rate than you can intake fluid and electrolytes. So understand hydration is an all day project. Um, in the winter, it takes a little bit less work, um, because you're just not sweating as much. If you are outside in the cold, you are still sweating. Um, but having a electrolyte product that you like that you can use during the day also, uh, as, again, especially in the summer when it's warm, it, it is an all day project, not just an on the run necessity. I think, and um, I think I, when I go into a workout and I've had a good like preload of electrolytes, like I feel uh, there's a significant difference between like not having anything and then you go in and you've had like, you know, three or four scoops of whatever and you're like, you're holding on to your fluid a lot longer. It's it makes a significant difference for me, at least. Um, I think cognitively too. Like there's like a lot of uh, studies that support like neurofunction with this sort of thing as well. With electrolytes, helps your synapses fire quicker and all that other jazz. So it's it's important not just for electrolytes, but like cognitive function as well. So. There was just that a whole sense. podcast from Andrew Huberman all talking about the electrolytes and um, neuro 
you know, cognition, which was very interesting. I started listening to that on my run today, actually. It was yeah. just funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, so something else that I didn't mention, I, I said hydration is super important. I didn't explain why, aside from that you sweat and you need to produce more sweat. Um, right. But also the, the primary purpose we're looking at on the run is blood volume. So as you get dehydrated, your blood is going to become thicker. It's more difficult to pump through your veins because it's less fluid. Um, and so then your heart is going to work harder to pump it through. You're not getting the same gas exchange, nutrient delivery at the cellular level. So blood volume is the key that we're really looking at on the run um, is the, the biggest factor in, in why hydration matters. If you're not including those electrolytes in there, you can pump a lot of water into your bloodstream, but you don't have the right sodium balance. And that can actually be dangerous. Um, it's, it's, you can Google when you get off the podcast, hyponitremia. It actually happens fairly commonly in running events when people are consuming water alone and their blood uh, becomes too diluted. So why is probably a, a helpful thing to <laughs> touch on. Sorry about that. Um, okay, coming back, Scott, what is your favorite hydration product? Scratch. So I don't have the package. I do. I am sipping on it, a habit um, every day. But uh, Scratch for me, um, I'm a very much a late, late to the game hydration person. It wasn't until last year, and you actually introduced me to Scratch. I think it was mile 29 of a 50K, and you said, here, you have to drink this bottle or else, <laughs> you know, I'm going to leave you on the trail. And yeah, and, and to me, I've always just steered when I say always historically, I steered away from hydration mixes because I just, I didn't like the way they tasted. I wasn't a sweet type of person, you know, goo, roctane, tailwind, um, Gatorade, obviously. I mean, it was either too sweet, too thick. It just didn't sit well with me. Um, I've had some bad reactions to, to, to drinks and stuff on runs. And so I always just kind of said, you know what, I'm just going to go to water, which is not a good idea. It was a bad idea. But uh, when you introduced me to scratch, it, it absolutely changed everything because I could, you know, tolerated. It was palatable to me. And also it was great on my stomach. And so that's what I go to. I think it's got 80 calories in a scoop. Um, so typically if I'm just doing, let's say, uh, I don't know, just an everyday workout or run, I'm putting one scoop in there. But if I'm out there like last weekend, for example, trying to go five hours, you know, I've got multiple bottles at, at you know, a drop station. I've got multiple scoops in there. Um, I'm still playing with that. I'm still trying to figure out kind of what works. And even like today, I dedicate usually one at least one uh run or workout per week to really focus on that i'm not like today i wasn't really worried about time and all of that it was like okay at, at this point of the run i'm going to sip on the bottle right and i wanted to make sure that i was just bringing it into my system you know slow drip bring it in bring it in bring it in um because that really is something that i need um but i think it's gonna be a game changer but for me it's scratch i think that that's the, been the one product that just has been great for me. So real quick, you made a really good point that I think most specifically for our long distance runners uh, who tend to carry like a pack or, or a hydration reservoir, hydration bladder, um, when you are using a an electrolyte product, it's really important to make sure that you are mixing it per the instructions on the package. So if you're carrying a whole one and a half liter reservoir of water on your back, that's not one scoop of electrolytes. 
You want to make sure that you're doing the math on how many fluid ounces you're carrying and then how many scoops of electrolytes you need to be putting in there. And yes, you can put electrolytes in your water reservoir. You just need to wash it out afterward. Um, but there's nothing wrong with putting those electrolytes in there. So make sure you're checking your package and doing the math to make sure your fluid and your electrolytes are in the right balance. Michelle, how about you? I use Element on the run, LMNT. I don't know which way, the right way to say it. Um, it's a pretty salty product, um, but I'm a salty sweater, so I need a ton of sodium back in my system. So I usually drink one or two on the run, depending how long my run is. And then I'll have on long run days, I'll have another one after during the day. Um, they make really good chocolate flavors that I'll put in coffee after my runs with some cream. So I'll make like two cups of coffee with like a half pack of element. Cause it is very, very salty. So like to put a whole one in like a cup of coffee is going to be like seawater. Um, but I really like that one. And then I'll sip on like in the summer, I'll usually sip on just noon just cause it's lighter tasting. And it gets me just extra ones throughout the day where I don't feel like I'm getting just drinking constant salt. Um, I like to tone it down like a bit for the day. That's a good high sodium product. So Element mm -hmm. is like double the sodium of your average electrolyte product. So if you do find that you're a salty sweater, that's a great one. Um, but it is an acquired taste. You, you might have yes. to <laughs> play around with it a little bit, play around with your dilution a little bit and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Um, I also really like Scratch, as, as Scott mentioned. I kind of pushed it on him, too. <laughs> Scratch is my favorite uh, for on the run. Um, and I will actually, in the summertime, when I'm really sweating heavily, I will mix a little bit of Elementy in with my Scratch and kind of make like my own little formula to get a little bit of extra salt in there. Um, and I like the way that seems to balance. But there's not, it's really kind of just to taste. I don't have a specific measurement there. Um, and then like Zach off of the run, I also have another one. It's uh, you can hydrate is the one that I really like. That's um, zero calorie stevia sweetened, um, but it's got pretty much the same electrolyte profile. So that's my sort of daily drink sipper. Um, yeah. And Scratch also makes they make a hyper hydration product that is similar to Elementy um, or Element, however you say it, uh, a high salt product. Um, they recommend using it like the day before a really hot run or hot race or something like that. Um, I don't love it. If I'm being honest, it doesn't have the same taste. I like Element Tea, um, but it is another high sodium option that's out there. Um, okay. Hydration. All right. Let's move on into nutrition. Um, we are going to cover this uh, relatively quickly, like I said, because we've covered it in depth before. We've done two entire podcasts on nutrition so far. Um, the more specific questions we get, we may you know, continue to revisit this topic and, and go into it in different branches, different levels. Um, but for today, real quick, we're going to kind of cover the basics um, for people who maybe didn't catch those episodes or, or are just tuning in and need a refresher as we're coming into the heart of the training season for the, the winter and spring. Um, so first we're gonna cover daily nutrition. And um, I wanna really emphasize here, I want us to really emphasize here, um, the difference between a training athlete and your average sedentary person. Because a lot of the nutrition recommendations that we're throwing out here are for active people, for training athletes. If you are running four, five, six, seven days a week, you are not the average sedentary person that a lot of the general nutrition guidelines that are out there apply to. 
Um, so I think it's important to understand that upfront that um, there's another podcaster I listen to who says runners are special, like we're different. Um, it's not just us specifically, it's, it's athletes, it's an endurance athletes kind of in their own category. So um, covering macronutrients real quick, the two macronutrients as runners, endurance athletes that we, we really want to be focused on in our daily life are protein and carbohydrates. Now, there are three macronutrients. Fat is the third macronutrient. Um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about fat today um, because it doesn't play an integral role in fueling for the athlete. I think one of the things that we find is that naturally most people, athletes included, are getting good healthy fats in their diet pretty naturally. The proteins that you eat, maybe some of the grains that you eat, the vegetables that you eat, you're getting good healthy fats in your diet already and it doesn't need to be a primary focus. The reason we really focus on protein and carbohydrates is because these are things a lot of runners and athletes are miss fueling, not getting enough or not doing uh, to the extent that they need to. So that's really why these are our focus for today. So jumping in there, um, Zach, let's talk about protein a little bit. For a training athlete, what is the protein recommendation that we want to be striving for a, on a daily basis? So they, they typically do it in grams to kilograms, but I've already made the effort to change it for you guys. I kind of like Michelle's. We were talking about this last week. Uh, <laughs> so we just made it per pound of body weight because it's like 2.2 .2 pounds for every kilogram. So it's about half of whatever they normally say. Um, so at the very, 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 very least, should at least be half a gram per pound of body weight. At least that's like the very minimum. You know, this could be in your off season. But if you're doing like, you know, if you're any what active, kind of like you were talking about, then I think you at least need to be hitting that number, which can be difficult for some people if you're not like consciously thinking about it. Like, you know, sometimes doing this, so like the recovery and the eating and the hydration, like the the running part's the easy part. But like, you know, feeling yourself for all of this can be work sometimes, especially with carbohydrate and protein too. Um, but I'm saying, so, you know, I've, I looked around a, a, a couple places, but I, I personally shoot for about a gram per pound of body weight. Uh, so I'm like 185, 190 pounds, but I probably fall a little short of that. Usually I'm probably about 150, but if I can get to one gram per pound of body weight, and it just depends on your, like how you handle protein. Cause some people, it just doesn't sit well with their stomach and it's a lot of work for them to do that. And it's not like, it's not comforting if they're drinking like, you know, a protein shake at the end of the day after they had their dinner and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like stuffed, you know, don't put yourself through that. But if you really want to put on some weight or some muscle mass, then you might need to do that, but you just need to have that conversation with yourself and your coach and what are your goals and, you know, where are you in your season of training? And because there are definitely benefits to it because it helps recovery, it helps with, you know, everything. Um, but it, it really just depends on like one, where the season are you, what season are you in? Are you like peak training or are you just like, you know, building a base? Then you may need to put a little bit of, you may need to front load a little bit more at that point. But if you're just doing base mileage or something like that, then you may need to back off a little bit because you may not need that much. So it just depends. 
So I think that's the important point to understand right there is the amount of load that you're putting on your muscles and the damage that you're doing to your muscles. Right. Your protein is the building block for that tissue. And so, and not just your muscle tissue, you know, that's, we, we think protein muscle, um, right. but also your bones, your gut health, your immunity. Um, it's important for all of these factors, but essentially the more training that you're doing when you train what we're doing is micro damage to your tissues it, it, intentionally when that tissue heals that's where you get stronger faster you know what whatever it is but um we are doing micro damage every time that you do a, a training session a workout and so we need that protein to repair so the more they train, the more important protein becomes and Zach, like you said sometimes it's it's a project and you need to put some, some extra effort into it. It might not just be your natural intake. Yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite. I hear you say yeah. you don't always get to 180. I, <laughs> I crave protein all the time. My intake is quite high for That's my a size. Good That's a good <laughs> I just did yesterday. I made a reel and I try, I don't track my nutrition every single day. Um, but I've been making reels occasionally where I am yeah. tracking my nutrition so that I can kind of show people what it looks like. I had 200 grams of protein yesterday without even trying. It just, that's great. That's what I was hungry for. <laughs> but that's, that like, honestly goes to show like just everyone who's listening. It's like, you know, you could have someone that weighs 200 pounds and doesn't eat 200 grams of protein, doesn't, doesn't hit their one gram per pound of body weight. And then there's, you know, other end of the spectrum where you're eating 200 grams and you're just like, you're like, give me another steak or something Not like that. Not 200 pounds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so on sort of a similar track, um, you know, we're talking about getting adequate protein can be a job, especially if those aren't the things that you necessarily crave. So coming to the other side of that, carbohydrate is the other macronutrient that we really wanted to make sure to touch on. And that's quite similar in that when you are training you need to be very intentional about how much you're getting in your body and it might be a project sometimes. So Michelle, let's touch on that for carbohydrates for a training athlete. Again, we're kind of putting ourselves in that four, four, five, six, seven days a week of running range. Um, that's a broad range, but what, what do we need to be thinking about in terms of carbohydrates? So I'd say at a minimum during training, you want to do two to three grams of carbohydrates per pound of body weight. Like that's your minimum um, while you're training. And like we said, like a sedentary person might be closer to that one gram kind of area, but they're not out there pounding pavement every day and doing strength training and all these other things. So you need that two to three. And I say two to three, like two might be at the start of your season, like when you're just starting the build but it needs to be closer to that three by the end of your season. And then during peak training and carb loading, it's going to be up to like four um, grams per. I mean, it's going to be a lot per of carbs, pound, per pound of, body, of weight. body weight. Yes. I know and a lot of times again, like it's in kilograms, but yeah. yeah, converting into pounds. So, you know, for someone like me during peak training, it's like 480, 500 grams of carbohydrates at a day, which is, seems completely asinine when you read these other health articles about like we take in too much sugar, but that's what you need to sustain and replenish your glycogen stores for the next run, for the next session, for your race because you're burning so many in your training, even if you're in zone two or zone, you know, one, even you're burning some carbohydrates along with your fat. So it needs to be replenished so you can keep performing at that level. Um, and you want to, you know, again, like that's an intentional thing at the beginning of the day. Like I 
plan out my week. And I'm like, here's what my snacks look like. And in peak training, like base training, there may not be a lot of bread and pasta and stuff like that. But when you get into base or peak training, there's a ridiculous amount of breads and pastas and bagels and crackers and snacks, like things that you don't see when you're just kind of like in fitness mode. Um, because it's the only way you're going to get it all in. You're not going to get it through fruits and veggies yeah. alone. It's just not going to happen. Or you're going to have some serious GI issues if you try. But, you know, those processed carbs with that they, you hear on these podcasts saying, like, don't eat processed carbs. You don't want them as the, you know, base for your diet. But you definitely need to add them in as your training increases and your mileage increases and your intensity increases. Um, and that's not counting in so, fuel. I want to make that clear. That's not even counting your in run feeling, which I don't count in my macros. I count per run, you know, as an extra. So people should understand, you know, we talk about protein is the building block. That's, that's how you are repairing, regenerating tissue. Carbohydrates are your energy source. So we burn fats as fuel and we also burn carbohydrates as fuel. And when you are, people should also understand running by itself is a high intensity activity. Even your easy run. We don't think that we go out for an easy run. We don't think of that as a high intensity activity because we do speed work. We do long runs. Um, an easy run, a recovery run is still a high intensity activity as compared to walking, cycling. Have you ever sat on a bike and compared your heart rate during a hard bike workout compared to a hard run workout? <laughs> it's different. Um, so Running by itself is a high intensity activity. And then, you know, we're adding in specified training along with that. Um, carbohydrates are the energy source that helps you go fast. And even in your easy and recovery uh, runs, you are burning a mix of carbohydrates and fats. Um, and carbohydrates are also, you know, your basal metabolic rate, you're burning them all day long. They are fuel for your brain also. So, off the run, you're burning carbohydrates as well all day long in addition to fats. So when you take carbohydrates in, your body is either using them right away if it needs energy right away, like you're on the run doing something, or it converts them into glycogen and stores them in your muscle tissue and your liver, um, but also in your muscle tissue. This is a desirable effect as an athlete. So I think a lot of people think I eat carbohydrates, I store it as fat. That's not the first line of defense. Your body first is going to take carbohydrate and use it if it can. If it can't use it right away, it's going to convert it into stored muscle glycogen. That is not body fat. It is energy stored in your muscles ready to use the next time that you need it. When your muscle glycogen is fully stored in your muscles in your liver, at that point, your body will take excess carbohydrate and convert it into stored body fat as an alternative energy source. But you don't get there until your muscle glycogen is fully stocked. So I think it's helpful to kind of understand that process and to not look at your carbohydrates as the enemy, as an active training person. It's your energy source and it's, it's very important. It takes a lot to, to fully store your muscle glycogen. Um, so let's talk about with carbohydrates specifically, you know, talking about this is, this is kind of a project. You're, you're probably naturally not getting enough 
carbohydrates if you are training on a daily basis. You, you probably have to put a little bit of work in. If you are eating a lot of veggies, a lot of fruits, you're getting a lot of fiber and you're, you're literally filling your stomach, filling your gut before you've gotten adequate carbohydrates into your system. So this is where processed carbohydrates can be really helpful for the training athlete, whereas for your, your regular sedentary person, that's not something we would recommend in their daily diet. So this is sort of a runners are special. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, I want to emphasize when we're looking at extra carbohydrates, it can be really helpful to look for things that are lower in fat. Um, because if you're suddenly adding in a lot of snacks that are high in carbohydrate and high in fat, that's where you might start to get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, you can also reach for things that are low in fiber again, because we're looking to get adequate carbohydrate into your system without that fiber filling you up and, and preventing you from doing that. So do you guys have just in your daily life, like a favorite carb load snack that you might have, you know, before you go out for a run or the night before a run or something like that, something extra that you really enjoy? I love the super Sacra hero muffins. I'm sorry. Just oh, uh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> Superhero muffins from the run fast, eat slow cookbook are like my go-to for long runs and races and the kids like them, which makes it great because they don't go to waste. So everyone eats those and they have a, a, probably like 12 different varieties now in all their different cookbooks of ones you can make, which is nice. That's a good one. Yeah. My family's from New York, so I'm going to go bagel. Best <laughs> bagel in the world. Yeah. Bagel all day long. That and honey. You know what? I, I, and, I mean, good. I've got, I've got a thing of honey next to my coffee maker. And sometimes in the morning, like I just, I'll just take a spoonful of honey. Uh, and not because like, oh, I'm going to, this is, you know, going to be fuel. I just like how it tastes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of just pure sugar. So bagels yeah. and honey, honey on me. the bagel. Yeah, 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 that too. But yeah, bagels for me, for sure. I can, bread is definitely a staple. Uh, I have shamefully eaten probably half a loaf of sourdough. I got a, a loaf of sourdough earlier this morning. <laughs> So bread, bagels, rice, those are like staples in my household. Anytime that I'm like, and you can tell like when I get to that certain point of training, you're like, it just like goes away like that. And you're just, <laughs> you're filling back up again. But yeah, any, any sort of like starchy sort of thing I'm after it. So. I, so bread is a big one for me too. And I've been making the past week or two homemade bread also, which then I put the honey on the homemade bread and then salt on top. So mm. bread, honey, salt. Oh, so good. Um, but my favorite quick grab snack is pretzels. Just the, the right combination of, uh, high carb, low fat salt. Like, yep. Salt is the recurring theme for me. It, it has <laughs> to have salt on there. Um, and for whatever reason, the pretzel thins, like, because they're flat, they have so much salt on top. Like it's, it's so much better <laughs> than just your regular pretzel. So the pretzel thins specifically are a favorite. I'm a fan <laughs> of pretzels too. They're good. Good stuff. Yeah. Not on the run though. So that's no. our next topic. So, well, some people like up on the run, but oh, our next topic then is moving into on the run fueling, um, because that is obviously different than your daily fueling. So let's cover real quick. Um, we personally have gotten into a habit of making calorie recommendations per hour. 
Um, so the, the general recommendation that we have made is two to 300 calories per hour. I think we want to adjust that a little bit and maybe be recommending carbohydrates per hour rather than calories per hour, because calories is such a, it's broad, you know, like, what are we, what are we looking at? What are we filling that with? Um, on the run, most of the time, what we're really looking for is carbohydrates. There's a place for a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, which we can get into later, but the primary macronutrient we want to be taking on the run is carbohydrates. So if we're taking away the calorie recommendation, um, carbohydrates per hour, we are looking at 50 grams up to 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So 50 grams is going to get you 200 calories. That's what it converts to. Um, 100 grams is the high end. And I want to be clear because I've actually had this conversation frequently with, with several different athletes recently. Um, fueling is becoming popular again. And I think that that is awesome. But people hear this 100 grams per hour number and they think, I'm going to go do that. Um, I want to be clear that 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour is a lot. So that's 400 calories of carbohydrate alone. Um, that is the upper limit of what we have found that the stomach can tolerate on the run. You know, again, we are running, we are jostling, moving up and down. And then uh, our blood flow is shunted away from our GI system and to our muscles that are working so hard. So you're not digesting as efficiently as you would be if you were sitting on the sofa. So understand you can sit on the sofa and put away a whole pizza and be fine, but you can't do that on the run because your body is functioning differently. So 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour is, is the upper limit of what we have seen people be able to take in. Some people have trained to go even a little bit beyond that. Uh, but it takes practice. It takes training. And just because it's the high end does not mean it's what's best for you necessarily. So I want to make sure that we understand it's a pretty broad range there between 50 grams on the low end to 100 grams on the high end. And more is not necessarily better. And we don't necessarily jump from 50 to 100. It's, it's a process. It's a training process. Just like you train your muscles, you've got to train your stomach and understand that may or may not be the right number for you, depending on what your goal is, depending on what you're training for, the distance, the duration of your event. Um, and that is also a key factor in what determines the carbohydrate range that's going to be best for you. The shorter the duration of your event, you can get away with less carbohydrate on the run. Because again, we're talking about the, the muscle glycogen storage that your body already has. The longer the duration of the event, the more carbohydrate it's going to be beneficial to put in because you're going to burn through most of the storage that you have. Um, so that's, that's what kind of differentiates what, what is going to be the best range. A smaller person can get away with a little bit less. A larger person is probably going to need a little bit more because they're burning more energy. They're putting out more energy to move their body through space. Wow. Um, I, think, I think that sums up the numbers pretty well. Would you, would you guys have anything to add there? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. So. Yeah, I would, I would just back you up on the whole training part of it just it's it's a it's a process i mean i was the absolute worst with it but um it, when you start training and 
incorporating it into your routine, it's amazing how it's not going to come overnight. It'll, it'll come, you know, and, and, and it's just, it, it doesn't, it definitely didn't happen overnight for me, but it'll come. I just can't stress yeah. practicing it enough and you got to set aside whether it's one run a week or, or whatever, just put the focus on it. it pays off so, right. Practice is key. We want to figure out what range is going to be best for you. And we want to establish a routine for how you're going to do that. So, you know, when you get to the night before a race or the night before a long run, you're not trying to like grab things out of your pantry and figure out what you're going to do. And we want to practice this as often as we can, because it's good for your system. You can train harder when you are adequately fueled, which is going to then make you stronger, faster, further. Um, and then you know what to do. You've, you've nailed down a routine. You don't have to force it. You don't have to think about it. You just know you're going to take your gel, take your drink, take your gel, take your drink. And it's, it's second nature, but that takes practice. And, and we really need to make sure we're doing that. So that's the next step of the process. We're throwing out the numbers that you need to be working within and reaching toward. How do we do that? So if we are, let's talk about long runs because that is our opportunity for practice. Every week you have practice. You go out for a long run, you can try these things. What are ways that people can be getting carbohydrates into their system? Michelle, why don't I throw that one back to you? Yes, yeah, so this common one is gels, like taking gels with you. Um, there's, there's drinks that have them and you can even take hard food. Like one of my athletes, her go-to is whatever seasonal candies out there. It's candy corn. It's like the Valentine's roses and that works for her. And that's great. She just makes sure she takes enough and divvies them up per hour and takes them. Um, so again, it doesn't have to be a sports specific, you know, supplement. It could be candy, um, gummy bears. There's all kinds of good ways to get your carbs in there. And it just depends on what works for you and what you like to eat. Like make sure the taste works for you, especially if you're marathon training, by the time you get to mile 20 and you're putting whatever your chosen fuel is in your mouth, you're going to be really sick of it. So just make sure you at least like it so that you don't hate it from the start. And then also hate it even more at mile 20, because you're going to hate whatever you pick at mile 20. Um, so at least enjoy it for like two thirds of the race, but um, you know, getting it in there. And I, I tell people when they start out, it's just like run training. Like you don't want to start off with the 50. I don't even start you off with 50 grams of carbs an hour. If you, especially if you have GI, GI issues, because that can trigger GI issues and you're going to have, you know, issues far from home or have to circle little circles around your house while you feel train. Um, because a lot of carbs can cause GI distress, can cause diarrhea. It's not pretty. It's not fun. So if you're just, you've never done this before, I would start with a gel every 30 to 40 minutes, just one. And, you know, if it's 20 or 25 grams of carbs in that packet, that's what you start with. And then you slowly start backing that time up like five minutes every couple of weeks. Like once you've realized, okay, this doesn't cause any distress to me, Start dialing it back. Okay, we're going to do one every 25 to 30 minutes now. And now every 20 minutes. And then you're then you're there. It's a matter of dialing in the number of gels or the amount, type of gel or fuel that you have to make sure that there's enough carbs in that every 20-minute cycle to get to that 50 to 100 grams. And you can keep dialing that up until you realize, like, okay, I can take 60 to 80. Or maybe 80 is my limit and I need to back it down to 60. Like, you kind of play with it. It's an experiment of one. Again, it's not something we can prescribe to you and say, take this gel every 20 minutes and go and you're going to be fine because you can find one gel that's 25 grams of carbs and another gel that's 25 grams of carbs and one could do great for you and you feel amazing and the other one can cause you havoc. So it's all practice. It's all, 
getting your body adapted to whatever you're doing. And then do not change that on race day under any circumstances. Keep it the same. Like even if it's not perfect, wherever you ended your training on, that's where you stay. Um, so that's my advice. So you bring up a really good point that when we're throwing out these numbers, um, we're not necessarily looking to take that all in at once. So if we're saying 50 grams per hour, you're not necessarily taking 50 grams at the hour. You're typically splitting this into multiple servings per hour. So um, yeah. when we're talking about sports nutrition products, probably the most common serving size is 25 grams of carbohydrates. Um, we do now see a lot of fuels that are coming out in bigger packaging or more concentrated doses of carbohydrates. But we're if we're looking at 50 grams an hour, for example, um, that's going to be two doses per hour, not one 50 gram shot necessarily, uh, depending on the person. But so if we're talking specifically sports nutrition, whether that's gels, chews, whatever, um, is convenient. It's, it's pre-packaged, it's pre-measured. Um, what would you guys say are your favorite products in terms of carbohydrates on the run? I would say gels for me is is what sits well. Um, Morton is 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 my go-to, um, and I play around with it. Um, I mean, it's it for me. It's been the best in terms of I've tried I've tried every single gel, but it's the best for me in terms of it just sits with my stomach well. It, it just I don't have any sort of distress. Um, but I mess I play with it in terms of like if I'm on a longer run, right? I'm 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Now they have 25 grams of carbs each. So I'm only getting 50 grams of carbs on a, in an hour or uh, yeah, in an hour for a long run. But if I'm doing, let's say a track workout or some speed in there, um, I'm doing every 20 minutes or so and getting a little bit more. Um, so I may be on the lower end um, and I've been playing with some higher carb options there, but to answer your question, the go-to for me in terms of product is Morton. Um, gels just sit well. I haven't really found a solid food option that kind of sits well. Um, not necessarily just from a GI distress perspective, but just from a palatable standpoint. Like I don't, I just don't like, you know, the taste of something, you know, whole foods while I'm running, even if it's a slow run, but that's, that's my go-to. Before we branch off into whole foods, because that's a, another piece yeah. of the conversation too. Um, Michelle, how about you? What's your favorite sports nutrition? Um, it's been Martin consistently the last couple of years. Um, I'm playing with you can right now and I'm kind of some days even alternating the two to see how that works just cause one's like a longer carb. One's a shorter actor acting carb. So, um, say Morton is my go-to cause I know it works. I'm testing you can, and I haven't had any issues with it. So it's going pretty well. Zach, how about you? So it's funny that Scott brought up the whole food thing because I think in longer events like 50 mile, 100 mile, even 50K for me sometimes, I, I tend to gravitate towards a whole food than even a gel. It depends on like how far the aid stations are. I mean, I'll have like one or two gels or three gels to like carry me from my aid station to aid station. But like if we're talking marathon racing, like I'm definitely doing a, a, a gel of some sort because out of convenience, simply that's just pretty much it. Um, cause I honestly would rather eat whole food the entire time during a race. Uh, I feel like I digest it a bit better. I, I don't know. It's just what I've kind of come to find out over the past couple of years and playing around with things. I don't know if it's the, like the speed is not there. So it's not, as much of a taxing on my stomach, but 
uh, I tend to like when I'm getting into an aid station, I'm like, give me like, you know what? And it doesn't really matter. It's just like whatever looks good on the table, I'm grabbing it. <laughs> well, I think Zach. So you... too, Go ahead, Scott. I was just gonna say, Zach. I think for you, know, my brain went to the whole the whole food part of it because training for an ultra. If I get to that point where I've got a four or five hour run on a Saturday, Friday right. night, I'm laying out my Mortons and I'm staring at fifteen Mortons. I'm like, yeah. I already know these things are gonna get old real fast i'm not gonna want after the seven I'm probably so, gonna puke yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's the whole after about seven or eight of those things or any gel like it's it's kind of more so like oh, i just need something else so that right. really is where it kind of kicks in for me for the whole food thing on a daily basis of training yeah, totally agree. so that's the key right there the the differentiation is intensity if you are pushing <clears throat> hard, fast, high intensity effort, you are going to want something that is low to no chewing because you're trying to breathe and you've got to swallow, like you've got to get this stuff down somehow. Um, and then again, like fiber and that sort of thing, your, your gels and your chews are sugar. They're very, very simple. That's a good thing when you're working at really high intensities and shorter durations. Where the whole foods come into play and become maybe a better option even is lower intensities and longer durations. Um, part of that even being taste fatigue, uh, the, yeah. the, uh, pa the sensory, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like texture, texture, texture on your palate yeah, yeah. Uh, makes a big difference. So And I feel like GI stress-wise, I, I sit a little bit better with that too. Like I don't, for sure. I don't run it with the gels, like the gels, they hit me a little bit differently after three or four hours. You're like, yeah, that's probably good on that. Too concentrated. Yeah. So Zach, you said you have pretty much whatever's on the table. Do you have things that you tend to gravitate toward? Or I remember your first ultra, we ran together or we started right. together. And one of the first aid stations, you, it was like a buffet, like you were having a day and you went through and looked at everything and picked up a bunch of things. Yeah, I, It's funny. I didn't remember that until you said that I look at whatever's on the table. Yeah. I keep all my options open and it's honestly, it is by feel and most of the stuff like i think we've talked about this before is when when you're looking at these races you have a general idea of what's going to be at each aid station so you can like play around with them or you can have them on like you know heather has been gracious enough to like bring stuff to me like during a run or something like that and i know what i'm getting and i know that's like what's going to be at the aid station so it's not foreign to me and you've trained with it at some point but most of the stuff is like pretty, like, I'm not going to like eat a pizza or, you know, something like that. But if it's something that's like just carby and like, I don't know, I, I tend to sometimes like in the, in those fall races too, I like something like, like some ramen or something like that. That's going to warm your stomach, but it's also salty. It has some carbs and stuff like that as well. Uh, but it's not great for like carrying and running and eating PB and J's are good. Bananas, all that other jazz. Yeah. So that makes a really good point I want to touch on. We have actually a large number of athletes in our squad that are training for 100 milers um, this spring, this year in general. And I think even, even all-day efforts when we're looking at 50 to 100K, one of the things to take into consideration when you're planning your fueling, and we're talking about whole food options, when you've been running the entire day, 
you've been mouth breathing the entire day. Um, anything that is dry, hard, crunchy becomes very difficult to get down. Um, so when you are looking at whole food options, especially for later in your race, if you are doing an all day, multi-day kind of event, you want to be looking for things that are soft. Um, sandwiches can be pretty good for that. Uh, noodle, like the soup that you mentioned, um, noodles are fantastic because you've got the carb, you've got the sodium. They're also wet. So they're easy to put down in a dry yeah. mouth. Um, so those are the things you kind of want to avoid is think about like things that are dry, powdery, hard pretzels, things like that are not going to be great options for you on the run. Look for things that are a little bit softer, um, easier on your mouth more so than your stomach, maybe on the long, long ones. Um, Okay, guys, we are one hour into our podcast and we haven't gotten to supplements yet. So <laughs> to move right on into supplements is what we really, really wanted to talk about. So we broke this down into two different categories. Um, the first category is nutrition supplementation. And then we kind of made a separate category for performance supplementations. So things that are important for endurance athletes, runners, things that are interesting for endurance athletes and runners, maybe not ne uh, necessary necessities. Um, okay. So let's start with nutrition supplements, things that are important for runners and they may want to consider as part of their protocol, part of their routine. Um, Michelle, let's start with you. Yeah. So the biggest one that I recommend out and use myself is protein powder. Um, and again, we talked about a lot of athletes don't get enough protein. So this is a pretty self-explanatory one. But um, I just want to go through, there's two different types of protein powder and they work differently. There's the whey protein powder, which is like the most common one, and the one that we usually talk about, like take it right after you work out. It's a fast acting protein. It's absorbed. And this type has a lot of um, leucine in it, which is your main muscle building protein. Like that's the one that's going to help repair your muscles the fastest. So whey protein is like your go-to post-workout drink. Um, and when you're looking for that, there's a lot out there and there's a lot of trash out there and there's a lot of not necessarily trash, but like it's not doing you what, you know, there, there's a bunch of additives and I don't recommend anything like that. I just, you look for a clean protein that has a few ingredients. That's all you need is the whey protein concentrate, maybe some flavorings. That's all you need. You don't need a bunch of these extra, who knows what in there. Um, I try to stay away from anything that says it's a propri proprietary blend because you just don't know what's in it. Um, especially if you're trying to compete at a high level with drug testing, you just want to know what you're consuming, even if without drug testing, just to be healthy, just know what you're consuming. Um, so whey protein, I, I look for things that have a clean label project label on them, or just have a few ingredients, um, nothing crazy, nothing over the top, no extra bodybuilding supplements. It's all you need is just this one thing to mix into like a drink or yogurt, or you can even bake it into dishes and have it to go in muffins. Like there's so many ways you can consume protein powder. Most of them are between 20 and 30 grams of protein per scoop. Um, and there's not like a limit on like how much you should take. I would definitely try to get your protein from a variety of sources just so you get all your different amino acids and building blocks. But if you're like really struggling, throw two scoops in your smoothie. Um, have 50 grams of protein after you work out. It's not going to hurt you to do that. Um, and then there's another kind called casein, which um, you can get from cottage cheese as well. Um, that's It's another slower acting protein. And this one is one that they usually recommend you take at night before bed. Um, especially when I'm training hard, I don't take this year round. I do it in the heat of marathon training or like intense strength training days. I'll mix this up at night and take it at night because it's a slower digesting protein. 
that kind of like is like your slow acting thing. So it works overnight to kind of help rebuild things. Um, it's really good for your gut and immunity as well. Um, so those are just in a nutshell, like two different protein powders. Um, you know, again, just, it doesn't have to be anything fancy with a fancy label or anything. The stuff I take is very clean and clean, um, lean and clean. It's called Puri, P-U-O-R-I. Um, and it's got three ingredients in it and that's it. Um, but it's, I've taken it for years and it's been great. So the thing for uh, vegan vegetarians who are not going to be taking an animal-based protein, um, one of the key things that you want to be looking for on your label is leucine. Like Michelle mentioned, that is the key amino acid for uh, muscle protein synthesis, for stimulating muscle protein synthesis. If you don't have leucine in there, you're not using that protein uh, in the way that you should be. You're not getting the the benefit to your muscle. So uh, most of them have it. It's added in. It's not natural in vegan or vegetarian proteins, but it's typically added in um, commonly. Just make sure you check your label for that, that it is in there or else you're kind of wasting um, what you're putting in there. Um, I want to, this is kind of out of order of the plan that we had, um, but because we're talking about protein, I want to take that a step into two other similar products, um, creatine and collagen. I think these are both kind of hot topic supplements. We hear about them a lot. We get ads for them a lot. Um, let's talk about creatine first, because I think that one is interesting coming into endurance sport. It's, it's pretty, it's not new. Creatine, I think is the most researched supplement on the market. Um, but as an endurance athlete, it's new to us. The, the, um, awareness of it is becoming new. So I kind of want to throw it out there to you guys. What are your thoughts on creatine as an endurance athlete? I mean, I take it for, I know it helps with muscle building and body composition. So I honestly take it for that after my runs and I drink it with my element during my strength training, just to help with muscle growth. So just to become stronger. So that's how I've been using it. And I've been taking like five grams a day, every day. Um, even not, even on my days off, I take it every single day. Um, I've taken it for that. And as well as like, there's all these studies about cognitive benefits of it too. So like just as a longevity supplement, I take it on the daily i'm the same after a hard workout strength session um typically in a protein powder shake i'll put five five grams just a little teaspoon in there um not every single day um i typically just do it on hard you know um probably should do it more often but that's typically how i do it just throw it right into a protein powder shake it up yeah i exactly have thought I, and I and I don't have anything against it. I just try to get it in form of whole food. I've tr tried to switch a lot of like how I supplement with how I eat. Uh, so a lot of red meat. If you can get red meat that's high in creatine, so is broccoli. I believe there's a couple other foods as well. But fish. Uh, yeah, fish. Mm -hmm. Like it's. But if I can get it through a whole food instead of like knowing that it may have gotten processed somewhat, not that it does, but, you know, the studies show that this stuff is like phenomenal for you. It's great. Uh, like I remember when I was a kid, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old, I uh, went to the pediatrician and my mom was like, he's going to try to take this creatine stuff. And the doctor's like, he's fine. He's fine. But it is interesting now that uh, it used to be like a real meathead product where it was like mm -hmm. all the gym rats and stuff used to take it 
but now uh, it, it does really, uh, I haven't done a ton of research on it as far as in the endurance, uh, but from what I've heard, there is a pretty big wave of it recently. Uh, so essentially, um, when you when your muscles are fully saturated with creatine, it increases your ability to produce and use ATP. Um, and it is difficult, if not impossible, to get full saturation through a natural diet. However, people should know if you are already eating a high-protein diet, you are getting your adequate protein intake the effects of creatine are going to have a much less significant effect on you because you are, like Zach mentioned, you are already getting a hearty dose of creatine if you have a high protein diet, specifically in some of those things that you mentioned, red meat, fish. Um, if you are someone who struggles to get enough protein in your diet, you are going to see a bigger effect from the creatine um, because, again, you're getting that saturation that maybe was... Uh, submax or suboptimal beforehand. So know that, that you're not going to have a drastic effect if you already have a very high protein diet. You'll see more of an effect if uh, you struggle to get that. Um, I also think it's important to note that creatine is something that you have to take consistently to see a benefit or to see an effect. It's not something you take here or there to get an immediate boost or an immediate anything. Um, you have to be taking it for, I think, a minimum of three to four weeks before you build that full saturation that we're talking about. Um, so it's not a quick fix. It's, it's a long-term process to get yourself up there. Um, it's also interesting. I have read that, so creatine is also part of the process. It's helping to pull protein into your muscle tissue. If you take carbohydrates with your creatine. So uh, Scott, you mentioned like you'll put it in your, with your protein. If you put some carbohydrate in there too, like some fruit or something like that, it's also pulling that carbohydrate into your muscle tissue more effectively. So you can actually more effectively carb load and glycogen load your muscles too, huh. um, is what I've read. I'm not going to claim that I'm an expert on that, but I've read several uh, uh, articles that say that that is a makes good sense. practice to bear. Yeah. yeah that if it's, sense. that's kind Physi of the, Physiologically, by which it it's makes going. sense, yeah. Um, people should also know that uh, there is weight gain, uh, an amount of weight gain associated with creatine. And I think it's important to understand that when we're looking at that weight gain, it's not fat that you're adding to your body. It is water retention. Um, so part of, you know, pulling all of those uh, extra nutrients into your muscle, you're pulling water along with that. Water is part of the process of um, storing protein, storing glycogen in your muscle tissue. So there is an amount of water retention. Um, again, the more consistently that you take it and the more your body adapts to it, you'll see a little bit less of that than if you're, you know, starting a like a high dose, a lot of products will recommend you do like a two or three week high dose cycle. When you start, you're going to see more water retention with something like that, but note that it is water. You're not putting on fat mass unless by another method, but not by the, yeah. the method of creatine. So, yeah, but I've heard nothing but good um, things about it. Yeah. And well, like Michelle said, the research that's coming out on the cognitive effects um, right. in, in older populations, the cognition and memory, um, is 
they're seeing a huge effect there. And then even in the active population, you know, we're talking about like decision making and things like that, that when you're 10 hours into an ultra or you've been grinding your tail off for two hours in a marathon, um, decision making and then having that mental sharpness is important and key. So that's another factor that goes in there. So just very interesting stuff. Um, okay. Collagen is another very popular supplement. Um, do you guys, I, I certainly have thoughts on that, but I feel like I'm talking a lot. Do you guys have any thoughts on collagen as a supplement? I, mean, I, I do not. Really. I, I haven't really taken it to be quite honest. Yeah. <laughs> I used it. So my doctor did recommend it for me for knees, for my knees. Cause I have a, I've worn away with the cartilage in my knees pretty well. Um, I don't know if I've seen effects from it. I'll be honest. I'm not sure. Like I I'm on the fence. Well, I just started kind of regularly using it and it's like extra protein, I guess, but I don't know if it's doing what I think it's doing. Like it's, it's fine. <laughs> just like for lack of better. That's it's pretty fine. much exactly what the research says. Yeah. <laughs> so you're on the right track there in terms of, um, as athletes, I think when we're talking about collagen, we're thinking about tendons, ligaments, cartilage, that sort of thing. Um, there is good research about the effect that collagen has on things like your hair, skin, and your nails. Um, that's pretty, pretty well researched. Uh, the effect that it has on your ligaments, tendons, that sort of thing is a little bit more uncertain. Um, it is an incomplete protein. And so far, the research seems to suggest that there's nothing special about a collagen supplement specifically that's going to directly relate to your tendons and your ligaments and your cartilage um, and connective tissues. It's if you are, again, getting a high protein diet and getting that complete protein sources into your, into your system on a regular basis, that has an effect on your tendons, ligaments, joints. Um, but collagen specifically, it's not like you take the collagen in and it goes directly to your tendons and your ligaments. So is it going to hurt you? Um, as far as the research suggests, no. Um, but is it directly benefiting you and how much is it costing you? That's where the question is. Um, and, and the short answer is we don't know yet. There's, there's not definitive research to say, no, this doesn't work. That's not really what science does, but, um, there also is not definitive research to say, yes, drink collagen. It goes to your tendons and this is good practice. So, I don't know. <laughs> um, I do take it. I take it every day. I started really um, when I was in the throes of my injury and kind of thought it's not going to hurt and I'm injured and maybe it's going to give me a little extra something to that area. Um, but kind of like you, Michelle, I'm not sure that it's been just about six months now. I've been taking it daily and I don't think there's a drastic difference or a noticeable difference at all. But people ask about that all the time. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go, uh, nutritional supplements. Let's talk about like some anti-inflammatory things, um, that, that people commonly see maybe in the vitamin and mineral section. Zach, why don't I throw that one to you? Yeah. So I think we kind of, we composed the list of what omegas, turmeric, ginger, garlic, turmeric, ginger. I threw garlic on there. Cause yeah, I mean, mm, I, you can I get, get into the weeds with all of these and I'm not really going to get into the weeds with all of them. They all tend to do really well for you from, at least from what the randomized controlled trials of like all these different articles that I was reading and, um, and they, they do work well. Um, a couple of notes, uh, turmeric 
you just need to know that you need to have black pepper extract in your turmeric. I was, we were talking about this last week and everyone was like, wait, what? And I was like, I didn't yeah, know black, that. Black, black pepper extract. You need that. You need it in your turmeric. Otherwise it's not very bioavailable. Uh, and you're really just taking turmeric for no reason. Um, but that's what makes the curcumin, which is like that component that gives you the anti-inflammatory. That's what get, that's what like kind of turns on the switch for it to really work. So look on your turmeric bottles, make sure it has black pepper extract and not just throw it out because it's not really doing anything good for you. Um, ginger, ginger, garlic, ginger and garlic. I mean, they're all the same. Like they all work well for anti-inflammatory. Uh, I mean, it just goes for like osteoarthritis, all this other stuff. And it works on several different mechanisms of pathways and you can get into the weeds with it, but do they work? Yes. It's, and kind of, I think going down to all of these supplements and anti-inflammatories and stuff like that, it's like, what's your benefit for it? And if you find the benefit personally for it and it doesn't, it's not cost effective and it is cost effective for you, then you should take it. But you know, it's all, all in what you want to put, like, how much do you want to put into this? Are you, you know, what are you doing with the other, I think this is, we were talking about this is like the 2% or 3%, like it may move the the needle a little bit for you. And if it moves the needle enough for you, do you, do you do it sort of thing? Um, so with all three of those and the omegas, they all tend to have good research with them all. There's nothing bad about them. Um, as far as specific dosing, I didn't get like into the weeds, but I'm sure on any of the bottles, they would just give you like, the recommended daily dose for each one of these. And I don't think you're going to overdose on any of these by any means, but yeah, I don't think so either. And no. and super easy to include in your daily diet too, right. to season it and up. And... and they're pretty available too. Mm-hmm. So the next little category we're going to get into here is vitamins and minerals. And I want to make sure before we launch into this, that, when we're talking about vitamins and minerals, it's important to know your levels first, that it's not good practice to just start dosing this stuff. Unlike things like turmeric, garlic, that you probably can't overdo or else you're going to be kicked out of your house because you smell so bad. Um, Vitamins and minerals have a very real effect and some of them can be toxic in excessive doses. Um, So, Check in with your doctor first, um, you know, annual blood work can, can give you feedback on a lot of these things. Um, we run squad athletes that we coach, we partner with inside tracker. Um, we get a discount year round on their blood testing, which, um, unlike the testing you get at your doctor, you can get it done as many times a year as you want. If you want to like really, I don't know, test yourself every month or more frequently than your insurance or your doctor will will cover for you. Um, and it's a little bit of a broader range. So in tra- Inside Tracker is looking for optimization for an uh, an athlete, whereas your doctor is looking for illness, health, you know, your your basic track to make sure that you are a healthy person and on track. Inside Tracker is uh, looking at optimization. So we're going maybe to a few more biomarkers than you would generally get on your routine blood work. Um, one of those that is really important to know before you just start dosing it is iron. So iron is very important. It is something that very commonly runners, athletes can be low in women, especially. Um, but it's also something that you don't want to be overdosing. It can be toxic if you are overdosing your iron. 
And the tricky thing is that the effects of overdosing iron are actually, the, the symptoms of that are actually quite similar to um, the to being low in iron, fatigue, you know, that sort of thing. So just going based off of how you feel, you might not actually know if you are serving yourself in the right way. Um, so make sure that you get blood work before deciding I need an iron supplement. But it is something that people should be looking at. Iron is directly related to uh, your red blood cells, your hemoglobin, your ferritin, uh, hematocrit, you know, all of those things that we need so badly as runners because we're doing damage to our bodies. Um, we break those down really. Red blood cells break down quickly in, in an athlete who's doing that kind of damage. So that is why, and then women, especially menstruating women specifically are naturally going to have a harder time getting their iron levels up also. So that is a key mineral nutrient to be looking at, but make sure that you are testing before you do it. Don't just go start taking iron, um, willy nilly without some, some guidance to, to guide you there. Um, Okay, a handful of other vitamins and, and nutrients that are particularly of interest to runners. Uh, Scott, can you fill us in on a couple yes. other ones that we should be looking at? Yeah, so real quick, magnesium. So it's an electrolyte. Um, we've talked about electrolytes a lot, but it's part of your sweat, right? So if you're sweating a lot, you're losing it a lot. So it tends to be one of those that athletes and runners are going to be deficient in. Um, you, you get it in food, but I think as I was kind of prepping for this podcast, I was like, you know what? I, I know where I can get some sodium right? From salt. I know where potassium, I think about bananas, but what about magnesium, right? And so you may not know where you're at, right? Going back to kind of knowing where your, your levels are. Um, you can get it in food, but you know, getting it in a supplement form is really important. Um, but why? I think when we talk about magnesium, and I'm kind of learning this too, but it's like, it's part of the relax. When you're talking about your muscles contract, contract, relax, right? It's part of what's going to uh, promote the relaxation right part of that that was along with potassium so that's kind of really why it's important um in terms of if you're talking about from an athlete athlete perspective um so it's good to kind of know where you're at there um vitamin d is another one um you can get that right in supplement form but um you can get it from the sun right and so it's it's very important to get the vitamin d and what happens with vitamin D and why it's important um, is it's it's it regenerates tissues, bones, muscles, right? So it's very important to kind of get that as an athlete. I mean, we're breaking it down. We want to kind of, you know, regenerate and fix that. Um, why somebody and why people may not be um, kind of like, you know, up on the vitamin D is because, you know, if it's dark outside, right, you're not out there and then you're, you're wearing clothing, sunscreens and everything. If, if the sun is kind of one source of it, you're not absorbing it. You're not getting that, right? And so that's kind of why it's important to kind of bring in some supplementation with the vitamin D because it's going to help repair, uh, you know, the tissues, the bones, the muscles, et cetera. I think if I can touch yep. on that one real quick, I think that's one that a lot of people maybe aren't aware of or don't think about a lot, especially as athletes, because runners, we spend a lot of time outside. Um, however, you spend a lot of your time outside covered up. You know, you wear your hat, you wear your UV clothing, you wear sunscreen. Um, in the winter, you go outside and you are completely covered. Like yeah. maybe your eyes are out and your nose, <laughs> but you're not getting um, that unprotected exposure on your skin to really properly be absorbing that vitamin D that you're out there getting. Yeah. So people don't think about that one a lot. And um, that's another one that's, it's very difficult to overdose. Um, but it is one that you do want to be aware of, um, because it does not some vitamins you if you are taking too much, you're going to pee them out. And it's, 
you're paying for expensive pee, essentially. Your body's going to flush it out. Not all vitamins and minerals do that. And vitamin D is one of those that it can actually store up in your system. It's a fat-soluble vitamin. So very, very difficult to overdo. Um, but it's not something that you just want to you know, be squeezing 20 times the dose on your bottle into your system, um, just to be aware. And then B vitamins. So yeah, B vitamins, um, you know, they're helpful. They help convert, you know, the food into cellular energy. Um, so you're, you're, you're kind of turning those proteins, fats, carbs into energy, right? And so with, if you're deficient in it, you're really not getting the energy out of the nutrients you're in the calories and the macros that you're bringing in. Um, so that's one. It also plays a role in the red blood cell production, digestion, and gut health. So you know, there's a, there's a host of things that, um, you know, B vitamins are, are kind of helpful for. So yeah, that would be the three kind of just rolling through it that I would say, you know, from the vitamin standpoint, that kind of very beneficial. And a lot of times from an athlete standpoint, we're deficient in and it's good to kind of get that in you. B vitamins, you will know if you've had too much because you'll, you're going to pee yellow, whether you're hydrated or not. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and again, we should also just touch on, um, even those vitamins that your body will naturally regulate and flush out if it has too much, that doesn't mean that it's okay to just like throw, you know, ridiculous dosages into your system because that does take work. Your kidneys, your liver have to filter those things out um, that it, that are excessive, that it's not using. So um, it's, it's a lot easier for your body to regulate it and, and for it to clear through what it doesn't need. But if you are habitually putting excessive amounts of those water-soluble vitamins into your system, that's not great for you either, even if the uh, toxicity is less risky. Just yeah. something to think about. Okay. Cool. The uh, last category we're going to move into is performance supplements. So these are things that we would probably say as, as a competing athlete are not necessary for your health, but they are extra and interesting to play around with if we're looking at um, performance boosting. So things that can give you maybe a little bit of an edge or help you to feel a little bit better or perform a little bit better. Um, these are all to be clear, um, legal, safe uh, supplements that, that we're going to be talking about. But I think they might be interesting. I think a lot of people might not know what they are and might be learning about them for the first time. Um, and again, I want to emphasize that a lot of these are sort of like extra, extra 1% type supplements that the, the biggest key to your performance is mastering your training, which comes from mastering your nutrition and your hydration so that you have the fuel and the energy to do the training to get you there. These things are extra. They are not the things that are going to make or break your training. They are interesting and fun and something to play around with. Um, okay, let's get right into it. Scott, you're going to start first. What is your first performance supplement? Supplements, um, maybe a weird term for this one, but yeah, I'm going to throw out the uh, ever popular caffeine, kind of very, very popular one. Um, you know, it's, 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 I think, you know, when you get up in the morning, go for your run, you coffee, right? It's, it's caffeine is in coffee, coffeine is, caffeine is in soda, it's in tea, it's in a lot of things. Um, but it's, it's a stimulant. So when we talk about caffeine, it's going to give you a boost. It's going to help, you know, metabolism is going to give you some, some, you know, kind of brain kind of alertness. Um, it's not an energy source. It's not something that, you know, you're putting in your body and it's going to, okay, that's going to be our energy, right? It's a stimulant. Um, I think one thing kind of to note about caffeine, because 
for me, again, I'll use my personally, I think many, maybe a lot of athletes are like this. It's just part of your morning routine, right? You just, you get up in the morning and you have your coffee, right? So it's beneficial and not just to get you moving and get you going. Um, it's also a diuretic though. Right. So you kind of got to monitor your intake, kind of how much you're taking in when you're taking it in, because um, it's going to it's, it's, it's going to kind of help you lose or promote you know, loss of the fluid. So you kind of got to watch that. And if you're doing any sort of um, longer race or any race, I guess, in general, like caffeine is in a lot of, you know, gels that you take and a lot of those things. So kind of be cognizant of what you're putting in from a gel perspective, right? Or any sort of thing you're putting in there, does it have caffeine in it? So kind of as your event or as your workout or as your long run goes on, kind of you, you want to watch how much caffeine you're actually putting into your body because there could be a point of kind of detriment there um, if you're putting in too much. So um, that would be one thing I would say is, yeah, it's got a lot of benefits from a stimulant standpoint, getting you going in the morning, helping you go um, early before you run. Um, but yeah, kind of just watch it because too much is a good thing, right? It could have some negative negative effects. But I, I think that I would throw that one out there is probably a very popular and most common one or a common one. I sort of tell people on that one to think ahead about after the race also. Hmm. Um, there are certainly times that having caffeine, especially when it gets dark and you're starting to get fatigued, can really give you that boost to get yourself through, get yourself to the finish line. Um, but you need to also make sure you are weighing out the cost benefit of, do you want to be able to go to sleep at night? And maybe you're not going to sleep anyway, and it's worth it to give yourself that extra stimulus to, to get yourself through. Um, but just something to think about too, is do you want to be going to sleep within two hours, three hours of crossing that finish line? If, if no, then okay. But think about that too. Um, and also the dosage there really is, individual there's there's no like recommended dose or like you know something like that it really is individual to your tolerance and it's something that you need to practice and and figure out for yourself what what works best for you um okay zach you're up next i think this is one that might be new to a lot of our listeners yeah so sodium bicarb um so it's kind of interesting i think martin has like a jelly sort of like i don't know what putting i don't know what it, what it is specifically but uh the whole idea essentially is it's to buffer it's to act as like a buffer for your uh your byproduct system so you're not making so the lactic acid that you make during an event or a race or whatever is then buffered out and theoretically can help you have a higher amount of lactic acid theoretically in your body um because it's buffering out that and therefore allowing you to push a little bit harder i did a couple of research i did a look i did a look back at like a couple of like uh randomized controlled trials and i think they did a couple like they did a few look backs at several different studies and like it's like half and half uh, i don't really and i i personally if i'm if i'm like thinking about this it's probably for like a higher threshold race or like a 5k or a 10k in comparison to like or like very like short endurance where like you're mainly using your lactate you're not like you're not using your aerobic system as much because uh, i mean there is some some play of, of lactic acid in this but i would say like if you're looking to run 100 miles i don't think this is going to be like your one supplement that's going to make or break you. Um, 
and like all of the studies I read, they're like, it may work, it may not work. So, and, and I don't know, like Lauren, you were talking about, you had an athlete that maybe had some GI distress from it and that was pretty well reported. And I've actually heard this from a few people that it's pretty common to get some GI distress. I've never played around with it, uh, but it's like taking baking soda essentially. And <laughs> pretty much good luck um i'd i'd say honestly you're probably better without it i don't know if it's really worth the money or not but i don't know i i think i would agree with you there that it is probably best used at very short very high intensity uh where you're going lactic quote unquote uh efforts um I think that listeners should also know it has a very short-lived effect. Um, it's not like something that's going to last you for a, a long endurance event. Um, and the the risk of GI distress is quite high um, if you are not getting the timing, the dosing correctly. Um, it's very common. And I think I would also throw in there the best way to train yourself, the best way to be I guess, playing around with your, your lactate levels is to train. Um, this is what we train your body for to clear process, use lactate. That's uh, lactate threshold training. That's, that's what that is. Um, that's the best way to teach your body to do this rather than taking in an engineered product um, to eat. That's You're going to get a significant more benefit. Well, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's, it's the magic pill. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot easier. Not fun. Yeah. Whatsoever. Um, there's also, so uh, the, the Morton product is, is very popular. It's getting a lot of attention right now. Um, there's also topical products that are like a lotion, PR lotion, if you've ever heard of that. I actually was um, looking at that too. Yeah. It's a similar effect. Um, or again, though, very short lived and, um, the the risks and risks in terms of your health are very low, but risks in terms of how it's going to make you feel immediately. Um, I think the cons, the cons are high. Let's just yeah. say that. Um, yeah. So interesting and make sure if it is something you're interested in that you are playing around with it at home during practice, not using it first day in a race or, or an event that's very important to you. Yeah. Um, it's tough to say too, because hey. like we, you, you're good. Uh, if we're gonna move on, that's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, you know, and it, it's tough to really say if it even works as well, because like I was talking, I think we were talking last time, like you know, Lance Armstrong had like his lactic acid was like nine during a normal workout, but he was so well trained that he had his body so well trained that he could just clear it that quickly so he was really good at clearing lactic acid but some of this is just physiological that you can't change to begin with and some of the stuff can be changed through lactic acid training like lactic threshold training like you were talking about so don't skip the training in favor yeah yeah all right michelle you're up next so next up is nitric oxide or beet juice or you know there's all these different names for it but beet juice is the most common way of increasing nitric oxide in your body. And what it does is it, it dilates your blood vessels so you can get more blood to your muscles. Um, and that's basically like the long and short of it. It's extremely safe. I don't think there's any side effects that I've read unless you take too much, which is pretty hard to do. Um, it comes in like a powder form is the most economical way to do it. I guess you could juice your own beets. Um, if you, I had tried that once it's not economical or fun or 
anything. It's a big mess. Um, but the beet ju the beet powder is pretty good. Um, it's an acquired taste. It tastes kind of like dirt-ish. Um, I mix it with a little bit of orange juice just to get it down. I take that every day. Um, I think it's a good pre-workout kind of thing. You want to take it like about 20 to 30 minutes before a hard workout if you're using it for that purpose. Um, and it basically, it's just extra blood. It's like super shoes, but you take it inside. Um, it's going to give you a little more zing in your workouts. Um, that being said, you want to make sure that you have fuel going to your muscles if you're doing that. Like if you're dehydrated, it's not going to help you. If you're not fueled, it's not going to help you. It's just going to be red pee is what it's going to do. Um, but I, I mean, I've used this and I think it does help. I don't see a huge effect. Um, some studies claim up to a 5% increase in muscle power and endurance. That was a very limited study from what I understand. Very few athletes, elite athletes. So to say what you're going to see is probably going to vary day to day. There's been days where I feel like I have felt the effects more than others. And it's probably due to my hydration level or what I ate that morning as well. But I do think it helps. Um, that's my personal experience with it. It's not super expensive. It is an expense. Um, I think Beat Elite is like $40 a jar. So it's not insignificant, but it's not quite the Martin bicarb that's like 70 for four servings or something. It was something pretty crazy. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's fine. Like, I think the biggest side effect is you might pee like you're peeing blood. It's going to look like that. And it's probably going to freak you out if you've never seen that before. Um, but otherwise I think it's for most people, it's probably a pretty safe thing to try and test and see if it works for you. Um, I have another friend who has used it and didn't see an effect and it wasn't worth the $40 investment for her. So I think um, one of the interesting things to note here is a difference in products. I think um, when we're talking about nitric oxide and comparing it to super shoes, I feel like that's a very good comparison because the way that an individual responds to a shoe is unique. You know, the Nike shoe that says it's a 2% can be a 5% for one athlete and a negative two for another athlete, just depending on your stride and the way that you move. Um, and the, a different shoe, a different brand is going to fit differently for a different person. I think this is very, very similar. Um, so when you're using a natural beet product, which again, I would say is like practically zero negative side effects. This is a healthy thing for you. Um, but the, the effect is pretty short lived. So that's why, you know, we're taking it pre-workout, going out and doing your workout, you're getting a little bit of vasodilation. So you're increasing your blood flow to your muscles, which is increasing your oxygen, uh, or your gas exchange, your nutrient delivery. So that's where you get the, the boost effect is you're getting more gases, more nutrients to your hardworking muscles. Um, a natural beet product is going to be pretty short lived. Um, there is another product on the market. It's from Swiss RX. Um, it is a capsule nitric oxide capsule. It's not, you're not taking nitric oxide. It create, it helps to create nitric oxide in your system. Um, Swiss RX it's called nitric oxide and it is a five hour effect. The, the way that they have formulated it is that it is supposed to have a five hour effect, which is five times longer, I think, than a natural beet product is going to last for you. Um, so that's interesting. And just a personal anecdote, using that product has been very different for me than using a beet product. Um, I have had a very noticeable 
pretty instant difference, um, like putting on super shoes. Um, so the difference in product makes a little bit of a difference there too. Um, but I want to also emphasize, and we talked about this when we were setting up the podcast, that the best thing you can be doing before you're taking the supplement and the pill is doing your aerobic training. That is the base here. When you are doing your low intensity, your math, your zone two, your aerobic base, what you are literally doing is innervating more capillaries into your muscle tissues. You are literally growing your capillary beds that feed your muscles um, and deliver oxygen to your muscles. That is the key to really getting the best gas exchange, nutrient delivery to as many muscle fibers as you can. This, again, is the extra 1%. It's something fun to play around with, but you are going to get the most benefit from it if you've done the training to support it and back it up in the first place. So there's no substitute here for doing the work, doing the training. And in this case, it's the easy work. It's the low intensity, the easy runs. Um, but committing to doing that is the key, the key here. Um. Okay, beta alanine is next. We actually often see these two together. Beta alanine and nitric oxide are very similar in the way that they work. Um, sometimes you see them together, sometimes you see them separately. Um, beta alanine is maybe more common in like your pre-workout products that you see on the shelf. A lot of your, um, <laughs> some of the meathead stuff, but it's also really kind of trickling its way into the endurance community as well. There are like electrolyte drinks that have beta alanine in them that are like supposed to be an all day kind of drink. Um, beta alanine is also a vasodilator. Um, it also has a very quick and immediate, but also short lived effect. Um, it feels dramatically different than nitric oxide. Um, whereas that is kind of a, a more subtle, Feeling beta alanine is a very noticeable effect. Um, it is very common to get tingling in your lips, your cheeks, your face, um, even in your extremities, your fingers and toes. Um, those can also become flushed, um, part of the vasodilation process, um, which again, you know, can be helpful to you in increasing your oxygen delivery, nutrient delivery to your hardworking muscles. Um, from my personal perspective, because the feeling is so distinct and so strong, um, I don't care for it. I, I compare it to almost feeling like an anxiety attack. It, it kind of feels like something is not right. It doesn't feel natural. Um, that's just a personal opinion. Zach, I know you've tried it before yeah. too, right? And Same similar thing. experience. It's just not a, for me, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> so something if you are going to try it again try it from home um and and be aware that it is a distinct feeling you you are going to notice that you have taken something um and may or may not like the way that feels so um yeah it's it's a popular product it's personally i don't particularly recommend it but um yeah one that you see on the shelves quite a bit yeah um Okay, we have two more quick ones. Um, I think this is probably actually a really quick one. Uh, ketones are becoming very popular. Ketone esters um, becoming very popular in the running community. Um, I mean, I can throw out a little bit of information, but before I start rambling on, do you guys have any thoughts or opinions on ketone esters as performance supplement? 
I've dabbled used in them, right? Yeah. Before. Yeah, I've actually dabbled in them here and there over the last couple of years. Um, you know, my take on it is I think that they're helpful, and this is just you know my experiment. You know, longer events that I'm doing or longer training that I'm doing more from up here in the head, kind of from a brain, kind of like, you know, if I'm two, three hours in and I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, it, it does, for me, it does help a little bit there. It's like, okay, it gets me back kind of mentally in that good mental space. I, I personally haven't seen anything from like, um, you know, it helps from a performance of, you know, like a supplement that you're putting in. Again, for me, it's just kind of mentally, it helps me out. Um, I don't know from an average or the everyday athlete, like they're very expensive. Does the cost, you know, benefit? I I don't know. That's up to the user. For me, that's kind of why I only use it really sparingly. And because I use it sparingly, very sparingly, again, kind of really just limited. But for me, it would just be the benefit would be that mental clarity, kind of wanting to keep going after four hours, let's say. So. And that's pretty much what the research yep. is at this point. Um, it's the research is still very new. So let's just add an asterisk here that, you know, maybe a year from now we revisit this topic and we have something different to say about it. Um, but for right now, the best of what we see is that it is brain food. Um, it, it is helping to keep you sharp, keep you alert. And we're seeing runners using that really across the board. Um, we saw it in the Olympic trials in the marathon uh, two week two weeks ago. Um, I think and I, I'm going to assume that's not as a fuel source so much as uh, a, a mental sharpness tool, keeping your brain alert and ready. Um, at least, you know, as far as we know, that's what a lot of the research is saying right now. So, yeah. wasn't it like um, I don't know, like five, six, maybe ten years ago? It was like kale had its own marketing team. I think ketones have their own marketing team now. <laughs> just in general, they're <laughs> everywhere. Like, you know, in my, it just like the algorithm for me. I see ketone. I see all of those, like every other ad, buy some ketones, you know? So I don't know. They're doing a heck of a job marketing that. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, right. And that's sort of where it's, it's hard to really know, you know, like you see your favorite athlete promoting it, but you really don't know if they're using it at all, how they're using it, you know, what the application is. Um, So that's a pretty new one. And I'll, I'll say, this is what we know for now. Maybe we'll come back and revisit it um, as, as more and more research is being done and more, more practice um, to see its effects. Okay. The last one I wanted to make sure to touch on, this is not a nutrition supplement, but I feel like this is the right place to talk about it um, is NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, And I don't want to leave this podcast without touching on it. So, um, I think it's important for runners to understand because we are people who have aches, pains. We do a sport that is very hard and it is very common for people in general, but runners to pop pain relievers and pain relievers are not necessarily the problem, but I I want to make sure that people understand the difference in the drug that they are using. Um, so when you are on the run or in a, especially in a big race, that is a high intensity or big toll of effort on your body, NSAIDs are your anti-inflammatories. So your ibuprofen, your Aleve, these are dangerous to use in competition, in high exertion activities. 
Um, essentially, they mess with your blood sodium levels such that um, if you are taking NSAIDs, you are putting yourself at risk of hyponatremia, of acute kidney disease. And this, this is dangerous. Those things have a pretty profound effect on, can have a pretty profound effect on your health, not just your ability to perform. Um, these drugs do absolutely have a place in usage in your daily life. Um, Anti-inflammatories are, are safe to use off of the run, you know, when you need them to, to the dosage on the, the package. Um, but when you are going into a high demand activity, you should not be including NSAIDs as part of your pre-run or during the run routine because it's dangerous, for, primarily for your kidneys. Um, if you are someone who needs to use some sort of pain reliever, and this is common, um, we see it in, in road running all of the time, we see it in ultra running all of the time as a tool um, but you want to be looking for like a Tylenol, an acetaminophen-based product. And it's important to understand the difference, that you're not just going to the shelf and pulling out the pain Whatever. reliever that's on sale, but you're actually looking at which what is in the product that you're using. So, Zach, did you want to elaborate on that at all? I kind no, of cut just, you off there. I no, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. I think it's really important to stay away from that stuff. Even if even in the setting of some of that stuff, you just got to be careful if you have some like GI issues or anything like that. If you are taking anti-inflammatories and stuff like that outside of racing and outside of training, uh, you know, both of those things you should probably talk to your physician about before you just willy-nilly take them because even if you have liver issues or something too. So make sure you're talking to your doc. Right. It's not a vitamin or mineral that should be in your right. daily post-breakfast post smoothie. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, I want to make sure people understand the difference there that yeah, if you are yeah. in competition and you need that kind of relief, Tylenol is what you want to be reaching for. Um, Agreed. Or acetaminophen totally. based product. Totally. Totally. So, okay. Some, some races, we were talking about this before the pod, some races even have them on the banned substance list. And that's not because they're performance enhancing, but it's because they're dangerous to you and they're a liability to the race. Um, as you see that, especially in UTMB is probably the most notable that I can pull out as a, a big mountain effort that they don't want you taking things that are going to hurt yourself and they have to go rescue you from the Swiss Alps. <laughs> so, Okay. I think that wraps us up. This might be our longest podcast so far. Thank you if you are still here listening. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here and, and working through all of this. It was a lot to get through. Um, anything else that anybody would like to add before we wrap up? No, we covered a lot today. All right. Well, then we are going to get out of here. We are the More Miles Run Coaching Team. You can find our website at moremilestogo.com. You can find us on social media at More Miles Run Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can find our podcast at the More Miles Podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. See you next time. See ya.